Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. definitely a commitment like it's not like anything that was easy and it wasn't anything that was just like kind of like okay yeah i took the dog out today and do it it was you know every morning when i woke up and i went to work i'd be thinking throughout work okay when i get home what do i want to work on with her where should i go with her there's always something to debate or argue in the dog world but there's just one thing that's not up for debate all hunters and dog hunters know you need the right gear not just for yourself, but for your dogs as well. Conkey's Outdoors Hound and Hunting Supply is your number one source for all things hound related. Conkey's is owned and operated by true houndsmen themselves. They've got you covered no matter the game you're chasing, from hog hunting, bear hunting, and even gator hunting. Bird dog guys don't feel left out either. They have whatever you need, whether it's training collars, tracking collars, boots, chaps, vests, coats, and more. No matter what you and your dog needs to have a successful hunt, check out conkeysoutdoors.com and they'll get you on the right track. Purchases over $100 gets you free shipping and enter GDIY5 to save 5%. And if you're a Patreon patron, you get to save even more money. So be sure to check out Conkeys Outdoors. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. Joe, what's happening? Oh, Nick, living the dream as always. You know how it is. <laughs> Still in my line, man. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, man, I'm I'm happy. I actually got to uh, get outside and go play this weekend for the first time in a while. I know. I'm jealous, and I've uh, specifically not uh, texted you or asked you about it so we could talk <laughs> about it on this on this intro. Yeah, man, it's it's been rough the past few weeks. I've been stuck inside doing work and everything. I've had cabin fever for a couple of weeks now, but this week I just I finally got got to where I felt comfortable stealing away and heading out in the the woods and chasing the Tennessee unicorns for a day or so. Yeah. So, uh, how many grouse do you see? Uh, see, I didn't see any. Okay. Uh, we uh i met up with jason uh yep. same, same guy i hunted with last year uh once or twice but yeah we we went out there and we we had a had, we covered some ground it was really hot no wind whatsoever but man it was just nice to being out uh didn't see any 
grouse, there's a couple spots that the girls got a little birdie in. And then uh, one spot in particular that Lucy did a little point track, point track uh, sequence. Okay. And uh, so she, she had, I think it was three or four points and tracks in between. So she was working a running bird. And then uh, Rachel came back on the last point and she even slammed into a point on uh, one of the scent areas. And so she kind of confirmed it. Never heard or saw the flush though. Uh, so there's, there's no telling what happened there because you know, as well as I do with Lucy, you know, she'll, she'll do that with a rabbit. She'll point and track a rabbit. So, but, uh, Rachel won't. So when Rachel came over there and got in on the action, I'm like, all right, there was a bird here and, uh, just never saw or heard it just flushed out the back end, but it was nice just being out, man. I enjoyed it. It was just, you know, walked a lot of miles, came home dog tired, got some good sleep last night from it. But uh, yeah, it was just I was just happy to be out again. Unicorns, man. Yeah, they'll they'll get you. You yeah. you gotta you gotta have the right mindset to hunt these southern app grouse, man. It's you know, I just I think it it was around eight miles. I did. We were out there for I think we started at nine nine thirty, and I left the woods at about three thirty or four, and. uh you know, a lot of people, they, that's a lot of walking and a lot of time for, to not get a flush, uh, mm-hmm. out of it. And you, you really have to go out there. You have to be, never have expectations, but just high hopes. Because if you don't have that, then, uh, there's really no point in going. Yep. But the scenery is nice. That's what I, I always enjoy, enjoy <laughs> about it is, as opposed to, you know, not to say South Dakota is ugly, but I, <laughs> Kind of every cornfield kind of looks the same, yeah, or food yeah. plot or a- anything a Milo. But uh, when you're kind of in elevation and you're in the hills and um, mountains, man, yeah. Except when you get in that rhododendron, uh, you yeah. know, you know how I don't like that rhododendron. So <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You well, don't. did you did you uh, end up going out today too? Uh, I just farted around here at the house, so I I got up, did a few things back in the house. Uh you know, back, back to work, but wrap that up as early as I could. And then I, I took each dog out to try and snag a couple woodcock or something. Uh, we got up one woodcock. I okay. missed it. And then, uh, Lucy pointed a rabbit and it flushed out and I shot it. So we got that. And then, uh, got some rabbits t- too. Yeah. And then, then I took Rachel out and, uh, it was a little too late as the sun was pretty much down, but I took her out just to run. And, uh, the woodcock were flying everywhere, man. It was, really? uh, yeah, w- me and her were just kind of standing in the field, just watching them zoom all over the place. And, uh, then a big old flock of Canada geese were flying in. They started at like they were about to land in my field. And then they saw us at the last second veered off. And then I looked up and there's four deer back there in the back corner in the field. And I'm like, you know what? This place is starting to liven up a little bit. Finally, <laughs> there we go. Well, Nick, that is, uh, a great segue into our guest this week uh, because even though I actually, I don't know if the listeners know, I live in kind of South Nashville. So I'm in the city. Nick has moved to a farm about an hour <laughs> and 15 minutes away. Basically yeah. he's got his homestead. So I am jealous cause I'm on baby watch right now. So I'm not able to get out, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, being in Nashville, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, you know, we have our trial grounds that are about 20 minutes away and then, I've got you that's only a little bit more than an hour away. Uh, but one of the reasons why we did start this podcast is, you know, being in a city like Nashville, um, you know, we are always talking about, you know, 
really gun dog it yourself. Use what you have around you. Um, you know, don't let uh, some of the maybe you know your present circumstances or some of the limitations you may have um, keep you from training a gun dog. You know, whether that be a dog that you can hunt with or that dog you can take to the invitational. Um, you can kind of train a dog wherever. And uh, this uh, episode is aptly called "City Slicker Nick" because we've got Nick <laughs> who basically lives in New York City training a gun dog. Yeah. And, and I love this type of stuff, man. It's, you got to get creative with what you have. Not everybody has, you know, what I currently have right now with field and and land out your back door. And I I can relate because that's what I had until recently is I, I was, I was working with what I had to do in, you know, a city type of environment and you can do it. You just really have to want to do it and you got to get creative with what you're doing and Nick is a perfect example of that. And, you know, we won't give too much of the episode away, but he's he's had some pretty good success hunting and testing wise with this dog living in a very high populated area. And, uh, you know, he, he had some really creative training techniques and ideas that he he made what he had available to him work. And I love that type of stuff, man. It's it, it got me thinking, you know, there there's so much stuff that different people go through and develop what works for them that that it got me thinking i really want to start doing kind of on a weekly basis kind of a tip of the week type segment and uh not so much a tip coming from me i I really want listeners to uh send us their tips and tricks that they kind of figure out on their own and what works for them and you know whether it's dog training uh a hunting tip and trick traveling, camping, something like that. If you, if you figured something out that really works for you and that you don't, you don't really see or hear from other people doing, you know, shoot it to us because there's so many people in this community that, you know, just some of these small little tricks that you learn along the way, dog training in a small city environment, um, you know, just a a small park environment, what, what you can make work for you that, you don't necessarily read in a book or hear on other podcasts, you know, other people are in your situation and they can learn from it. And so if you have any kind of tips or tricks that you've learned along the way over the years, shoot them to us. And I'd like to start putting them out on, on the episodes every week. And then maybe if you have a video or picture of the technique that you use, shoot that to us. And then maybe we can throw that up on the social media and everybody can kind of start learning from each other as well. Yeah, I, I love that because, you know, listening back to this episode, I thought it was really cool as you have, you know, two guys named Nick. So you guys already have that in common, <laughs> but you got Nick with um, uh, a very prominent uh, New York accent. And then, of course, you got uh, your Memphis slash uh, Tennessee accent, Nick. But the cool thing is, you know, uh, on paper. The only thing that you really guys have in common really is, is your name and your, your love of dogs. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what's cool is you guys can have an hour long conversation and, and talk about, you know, just that. So, yeah, uh, I think that's really cool. You know, being still kind of new to the game, I, I've been, you know, hunting for, you know, five, six years now, but I'm learning something new every day. That's what's great about, you know, these Facebook groups and something like this. But that's, again, one of the reasons why we started this podcast is um, to give these tips and make training um, 
dogs yourself easier. So anything yep. that you guys can give um, that has helped you in that, or even, you know, we're in hunting season now. So if you guys have some uh, for tricks for best way to break down a bird or best way to, you know, anything like that, we, we want to hear it. Yep, absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, real quick, I mean, in the spirit of it, I, I can get it kicked off, you know, first tip of the week real quick is uh, we actually did this last fall last winter this time of year you know it's after daylight savings time so you don't have a lot of daylight time during the week when you get off work to train your dog and so a lot of people say well you know until the weekend hits i don't really have an opportunity to train my dog um if you're if you're living in a high populated area you have city parks and a lot of city parks nowadays you know the virus might have changed it this year but usually those little city parks and areas, they have tennis courts, they have soccer fields and football fields with lights on because people are practicing. So you have an area to where it's really well lit and you can go and do some obedience training and you also have some built in distractions there for you. And there's plenty of stuff at a lot of these parks that you can use to your advantage. Everything from, you know, little parking barricades or healing stakes you can use, uh, you know, there's picnic tables there. I, I mean, literally, there there are tons of tables there that you could even force fetch if you needed to. Like, you know, I've talked to a few people the past few weeks. They say, I'm in an apartment. I don't really have a table that I can use for uh, force fetch. Like, well, you know, there's picnic tables all around in some of these city areas. You know, mm-hmm. put that to use. Get creative. Uh, there, there's all kinds of stuff and you're only limited by your imagination on some of this stuff. So, you know, if you're in an area to where you have a hard time finding a place to train your dog because there's just no daylight now after work. There you go. Get creative, go to a city park. It's well lit. And, uh, you know, we, we got some really good feedback on a, a social media post that we did like over a year ago about that is people said, Oh, I've never even thought about that. And I'm like, there you go. It's, it's just an opportunity that you can make happen on a regular basis. And that, um, that well lit area is vital in a place where we're at, where it's about, uh, dark at about four o'clock right now, being <laughs> yeah, right, right on, yep. right on that time zone. Hey Nick, yep. I've got a, I've got a tip for you. Yep. How's this for a segue? When you are breaking down any type of game, make yep. sure you got a sharp knife. <laughs> sharp knife is a great thing uh, to have. Yeah. Now I know where you're going with that. So, uh, <laughs> so Steve Greger, he he used to be really involved with NAVDA. I think he's still a uh, senior judge within NAVDA, but he he's been around NAVDA for for years and decades, and and a lot of people know him. He actually does some uh, custom knife making uh, work, and he does all kinds of outdoor gear. Uh, handmade items, everything from kayak paddles to knives to hatchets to decoys, all kinds of stuff. And uh, he was kind enough to shoot me and Joe a couple of these handmade knives uh, and some quick dispatch tools for our birds in the field. And uh, man, they're awesome. I mean, they're custom made with some some wood and even has an, this nice little bird dog engraved on the uh, on the steel and the in the leather sheath and everything. And, uh, yeah, he just, he just sent this to us and we just wanted to make sure that, you know, if, if you guys are in the market, Christmas is right around the corner. Maybe, you know, somebody that, uh, would appreciate a, a good knife like this, check him out. He it's called bird dog cutlery. He doesn't have a, a website. You know, he's not one of those 
crazy annoying guys on social media that's always asking you to be friends and check out my knives, check out my knives. He just kind of does it quietly on his own, but does some really good quality work. Uh, again, he's on Facebook, uh, Bird Dog Cutlery. Check him out, and uh, he he makes some really good stuff. And maybe if you don't need a knife or anything, again, you know, he does some custom made decoys and kayak paddles and all kinds of cool stuff. So just be sure to check him out because uh, I, I've been needing some a good knife for a while, and he was again kind enough just to shoot me and Joe some uh, some knives to work with this season. Yeah, and and I do feel like there's you know quite a bit of people making knives, but it's always cool to have one that's specifically for you know bird hunters, which yeah. is which is, which is really cool. It's a it's one of those pieces that you can pass down to to you know, but for for me, going to pass down this knife probably to my son one day. So um, that's what's really cool. Yeah. Uh, there well, you Nick, go. Nick, do you have anything else other than that? No, uh, this is a. Oh. Uh, uh, Longer than normal intro, but uh, yeah, let's finish it off with the normal Facebook, Instagram, Gundog It Yourself. If you have any questions, concerns, tips, ideas, uh, guest suggestions, because uh, this episode was actually came from a uh, listener suggestion is uh, what y'all are about to hear now. So if you have any suggestions, shoot them to us, Gundog It Yourself at gmail.com. Tip of the week, shoot them to us. We want to hear them. We want something to uh, share to everybody and help everybody out. And, uh, yeah, rate, review, share with a friend, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And uh, me and Joel stop, you know, running our mouths and get to the episode. There we go. Have a great week. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an Ugly Dog at your side. Explore responsibly. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, everybody. We are joined with Nick Mascalino this week. Nick, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, living the dream as always. 
So you have a pretty interesting scenario with your with your dogs and what you've experienced getting into the gun dog world. And uh, I think a lot of listeners can relate because you are a perfect example of not exactly having training grounds in your backyard, but you make it work anyway. Uh, but so go ahead and start start off by t- introducing yourself and telling everybody where you live. Yep. So my name is Nick Massolino. I live in Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, I actually grew up in Northwest New Jersey, but yeah, I'm currently living in a, a one bedroom apartment with the uh, the Manhattan skyline behind me. <laughs> so you are right smack dab in one of the most highly populated cities, and yet you still are in the gun dog world. Yes. Yeah. So, it's a little tricky. Yeah, but see, it's stuff like that that I enjoy because when everybody starts talking about training gun dogs and what you have to do in this world, you know, it, it comes from a, you, you need a bunch of land, you need bird opportunities or, or training birds or pigeons in your backyard. But you know, that doesn't just, that doesn't work for everybody. And you're a perfect example of that, that, that you just wanted to get into this world and you're making it happen living in a very high, highly populated city. So, Let's go ahead and backtrack and start with when you were wanting to get into this. What made you want to get into it and what considerations went into the decision? So uh, growing up, I've, I've always hunted. My, my father, my uncle, my cousins, they all hunted. Uh, we did a lot of bow hunting around Jersey. So when I got older, I moved in with well, my wife and my girlfriend at the time. We, uh, we wanted to get a dog. So when I was thinking about a dog, I was like, what do we want to get? I was like, you know what? I can really go for one of the, the hunting breeds. I want to get into some bird hunting. Try to do that with the dog, have an activity for the two of us. So I started looking around, started trying to decide on what breed I wanted to go with. And you start going down that road, you come across quite a different breeds that you need to look at. And uh, mm-hmm. my father had a German short hair when I was like a real little kid. I mean, I don't even remember the dog, but he didn't really put too much training in it. So it wasn't really too much of a bird dog as much as him chasing it around. So when I decided to get a dog, I wanted to get a, a German short hair and uh, try that road out a little bit. And so that was with you. You literally just decided, well, I want to get a dog, but I want to get a hunting dog. And, but you lived in, again, a highly populated city. So when you were starting to dig in and figure out what dog breed you wanted to get, was there any concerns with being able to make it work with where, with your living situation? It was. That was one of the things on my mind. So when I was researching some of the breeds before I ended up on the short hairs, I was looking at some of the breeds that, you know, that could be good, like living, you know, in the house, you know, in a house with you and not so much as like getting like exercise. And the German shorter wasn't exactly the, the best fit when you looked at that one. <laughs> yep. But I kind of, I kind of sold myself on getting the short hair. So I kind of tried to figure out ways that I could make it work and still get mm-hmm. the short hair. So when I was looking at the breeders, I was kind of, I was focused on ones that came from hunting lines, obviously, but I wasn't so much, so much hung up on the, you know, the most titled dogs or like the most recognized kennels. I was looking at ones that had hunting lines of them, but also maybe did other lines of work with them. Um, either ones that maybe did some therapy work, ones that did like some of the other AKC events as far as like the obedience rallies or uh, like canine good citizen awards and stuff like that. Cause I just kind of figured that if the dog can go through stuff like that and has that kind of line on it, maybe it might be a little bit calmer in the house warming, but still had mm-hmm. the hunting drive when I got on the fields with it. No, absolutely. So 
you know, you kind of alluded to it a second ago. People, when they think German short hair, they don't think, you know, good apartment or city type of dog, you know, really energetic. But you did your homework and you found a line within the breed that fits your scenario. And you knew that you might be sacrificing, quote unquote, uh, maybe some of the hunting elements or performance. But you also knew that you had to live with this dog and enjoy it, right? You didn't want the crazy bust through a wall hunting drive German short hair. You wanted one. You're setting the dog up for success within your living situation. Yes. So yeah, that's what I went with. It's uh, one of the big things for it. Like I said, the uh, the hardest part was, like I said, trying to find a German short hair where people didn't say like they was gonna end up with a nightmare because you read a lot of stuff online <laughs> and you look up German short hairs about coming home and having molding chewed apart or broken through a door or escaped out of the crate. And like I said, I definitely did not want to have that. Absolutely. So how many breeders did you talk to? And was that, uh, I'm just curious when you were talking to these breeders and, and kind of quizzing them, uh, were any of them concerned with your living situation? So I probably talked to about, I'd say like on the phone, I probably had a handful of conversations with different breeders. There was definitely a few of them that as soon as I told them my situation, they're like, yeah, no, I, I don't feel comfortable giving you one of my puppies. They, you know, you need to get them out and run them. And if you don't, they get destructive. And I don't want you to, you know, come back six months later and return the dog to me, which I completely right. understood. You know, as a breeder, yeah. you want to make sure you set the dog up for like, you know, a lifelong, you know, commitment with them, not to have the dog come back like a year or two later because the owner can't handle it. Yeah. I had a couple of conversations with people. Um, for the most part, they kind of, like I said, a couple of them turned me away. One of them I actually got involved with and I uh, had a deposit down, waited for the breeding. The breeding came around. And when he was placing the puppies, he just didn't feel comfortable giving me one. So <laughs> I waited those oh, three wow. months to find out that I wasn't going to get the puppy. So I was right back <laughs> at square one. After he then, took your deposit money, uh, then he turned you down. I'm then, assuming you yeah. got the deposit money back, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, I was just so making basically, sure. <laughs> basically, when he got the litter on the ground, I guess when he was looking at it, it came out kind of very lopsided to the female side of it. And okay. I was the third person on the list for a male, and he only had three males. So my thinking was that there might have been someone in there that maybe had a better situation that he thought was better. And it was just easier to kind of use me as the living situation to say, hey, I can't give you a puppy and place that next person on the line with it because maybe he felt a little more comfortable with it. I never really got the whole story of it. But yeah, I got my deposit back and I was back at square one. So I went back to my list. Um, I had two other breeders I hadn't, you know, I hadn't really talked to too much about it. So I went back to them. I had a conversation with both of them. Both were willing to give me the dog and uh, they had both litters coming up like in about like a month or two. So I was mm -hmm. talking with them and deciding back and forth. And like I said, the one uh, kennel I went with, it's the Von Schlusteins, the Keystone Gun Dogs out of Pennsylvania. She, uh, she had a lot of the dogs that had, like I said, the therapy work. Uh, the father of my dog actually is like a you know canine good citizen. He's also a therapy dog. He's a UT Prize 2, NA Prize 1. He's a AKC senior hunter. He's working on his master hunter right now. So he had basically checked off all the boxes that I was looking for. Yeah, nice, nice little resume. And sounds like you kind of caught a lucky break uh, with the first breeder that you're in line with just kind of falling through it may it may have worked out with you with the puppy but at least the the breeder was up front with you after the deposit situation and you ended up with the dog that has worked out for you so talk to me about your goals for the dog or your vision or your dreams when you're getting this dog you know you you were smart enough to vet a bunch of different breeders and find specific lines that work for you 
But what was the long-term goals for you? You know, how much emphasis were you going to put on hunting and just kind of walk us through your plan from puppy to what you wanted out of a dog? So when I was first getting into it, I got the dog. My sole focus on it was literally just to get that companion dog to have and just go out hunting, get some birds. Like in New Jersey, they have the, the pheasant stocking each year. I never did it as a kid. I wanted to get involved in it, and I thought having the dog would be the best opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to really focus on, was really just to get a hunting dog and go out and take it hunting. Um, so then when I started researching about how to get this dog trained, because I do, obviously I can't just take it out and <laughs> Go out there and chase around like my dad did. So I wanted to get some yeah. training behind it, get some obedience with it. And as I did my research and reading some books, that uh, NAVDA kept popping up. I kept hearing people talk about, you know, join the local NAVDA chapter. They have a lot of good resources. There's a lot of good training days. You meet a lot of good people. And I got involved yeah. in NAVDA. And getting into that was the same kind of thing when I, when I first showed up there. I was really just going there just to kind of get some bird work in, get her introduced to how like a gun dog should be get her ready. And I wanted to go hunting that first fall. I had no intentions of doing anything other than that. Okay. Well, before we jump into the NAVDA and the, and the hunting training, I want to go back to, you get the puppy home. Now, first off, were you kind of upfront with, with your girlfriend or uh, wife now, what to expect and kind of what you're getting into and what it could possibly turn into once you got the pup home into the apartment? Oh, yeah. No, we had a conversation about it. I told her exactly what breed I was looking at, what I want. I mean, she was fully on board with the dog. She's a dog lover. Um, but when I told her about the breed and what I was looking for and everything, she kind of had her concerns, but she wasn't against it. She, <laughs> you know, she wanted to get the puppy. She liked having the dog and everything. So she didn't really have too much reservations about it. Like I said, I told her, I'll take care of it. I'm, you know, that little kid thing. I'll take care of it. I'll take it oh, for yeah. a walk. I'll feed it. I'll make sure it doesn't get anything. And she gave me that responsibility and held me to it. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like raising a puppy and housebreaking and getting the exercise and, and just doing some basic obedience stuff out of the apartment? You know, do, do you have a kind of a close dog park in the area or something that you would steal away to? Or, you know, what was just the daily routine like? So the daily routine for the most part, when I first brought her back home, um, was yeah the first i mean when we got her we picked her up on uh february 13th and it was like freezing cold and then she wanted nothing to do with being outside so the biggest part was getting her used to doing obviously the housebreaking side of it but i immediately got on the the crate training because i knew that my wife going to work me going to work i wasn't working too long hours i can kind of come home and do a lot of stuff on the laptop but still she'd be as a puppy she might have been alone for four or five hours at a clip so i knew that she had to be in a crate so we started right off the bat with the crate training after a couple of nights of her sleeping in like a box next to us, we started putting her in a crate and I just started building on that, just leaving her in there a little longer, a little bit longer. So she got used to it. And for the most part, when I first started going to work, she would whine and carry on when you first left. But after a while, you give her like a Kong with a bunch of peanut butter and some kibble in there. And she would <laughs> gladly run in there <laughs> and eat that up while you uh, locked the door and left. Yeah. So, you know, go, go into housebreaking or, I mean, I don't know what kind of apartment you're in. If you're on like, you know, a a second story, fourth story, whatever, uh, just how often, how, how bad did housebreaking the dog out of an apartment suck in a city? You know, I don't know. I don't know where the green areas are. There is like, is there just a grass little park down the road from you or what? So for the housebreaking side of it, she um, 
there is no like grassy area. It's just the sidewalk and like those little planters with the trees in it. So, you know, when you do the palace breaking side of it, if I caught her, you know, go in the bathroom, run over, grab her, run out the door, uh, go down three flights of stairs, pop right outside. And I'd sit her right next to like, the first tree that was there. Uh, she wasn't too bad with it. It took a little while. I'd say probably about, probably about six months old when she finally started to be fully housebroken, I would say. But uh, right. so- that was basically it. Just trying to run her downstairs and then yeah, trying to get her out like outside for walks and stuff. She'd be like on basically the sidewalks, but there were some dog parks around. So I kind of used that more for like the socialization side of it to either introduce other dogs, other people. She got plenty of that. Okay. So is that really what you use for, you know, maybe some just energy burnout was the dog parks besides socialization, just take her out there and let her romp around with other dogs and burn some energy off. I would do that. And I also did a lot of the, um, that's what we did a lot of the, the beginning obedience work. So I did a lot of, um, I take her to like, there's like little like grassy piers that we have around. So I take her out there as like a puppy. I let her, I kind of run around with like a long check cord, um, just keeping her close and working on the simple things like just a recall, um, having her sit, walking nicely on a leash, like when we're taking walks around. So I had a little bit of that to use for, uh, for her to exercise. And then, yeah, the dog parks to let her burn off a little more energy if I only had like a, you know, a quick half hour to let her out. Yeah, no, that that makes a little bit more sense. You know, you aren't on a, I, I guess, just a concrete parking lot like I was picturing. It's like at least you had some kind of park nearby that you could go to and and just extended walks and stuff like that. So when you started getting into some of the bird intro and puppy level intro and the NA level stuff at NAVDA, how far off are your NAVDA training grounds and your chapter training grounds? So for my training grounds, it's up like in the Hudson River Valley area. It's probably about an without traffic, about an hour and fifteen ride up there. So okay, that's not bad. It's not too far. Like, but the Northeast, there's there's quite a few chapters actually. From where I am, there's probably about three chapters or four chapters within a two hour drive. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So pretty much any weekend you could count on having a training opportunity at one of these chapters, anyway. Yeah, and we actually have the one I joined. There's actually two chapters that use the same training ground. So you could essentially most people are dual members and you get the, like both both clubs training days. Oh wow, that's nice. Yeah. So just walk us through getting your dog ready for NA tests and kind of getting used to training your own dog and and how it was just pretty much being a weekend warrior and only being able to to do the the bird stuff and introduction stuff on the weekend because that's honestly where a lot of us what we went through and what a lot of our listeners go through you know it's some people just can't relate to only being able to do it on the weekend but the vast majority of us we have jobs and we don't have opportunity to do it during the week so what was it like just kind of doing crash courses on the weekend and getting your dog ready for the na test and and being able to hunt and everything so yeah, when I got started with Navda with her, um, I, I, the, that first season that we did, I wasn't even planning on doing DNA. But when I first mm-hmm. started, um, our training director actually became like my mentor. He's been helping me a lot with through all of this stuff. We, um, he told me from the beginning when we first met, he just said this, you know, a lot of this work is going to be obedience. He goes, you should try to do DNA. I told him I wasn't interested in it. He goes, well, since you're going to be coming to these training days, he goes, just train as if you're going to go for the tests. It's only going to yep. make it a better hunting dog at the end of it. So yeah. when I went to those NAVDA days, that's what we basically set ourselves up for is that if we were going to test for the NA and we'd go there and did a lot of like the puppy interest stuff as far as like, you know, 
putting like a bird out for the quail, letting her find it, flushing it, letting her chase a little bit. And then um, he would give me a lot of homework stuff. And he told me a lot of times, he said, a lot of this is not going to be the bird work. He goes, a lot of stuff you can do at home. He goes, it's a lot of obedience. Because he said, mm-hmm. you can't get the dog to do it at home. He goes, forget about getting that dog to do it out in the field with a bird flying. Absolutely. So, a lot of my homework and a lot of stuff I did outside of NAVDA was the obedience work. So that when I went to these NAVDA training days, that's when I used uh, the time to introduce her to birds and getting her to point, doing some tracks with her, take, trying to get her to swim. That was probably the big, <laughs> the biggest hurdle we had, <laughs> was getting into the water and getting her to swim. Um, so yeah, then basically through, I'd probably say it was probably about July, I finally got bit by the bug and I was like, you know what? After seeing all these dogs at different levels and what they can do, I was like, let's let's sign ourselves up for the NA test and just, you know, see what she does because I can't wait till the next spring because she would have aged out. So yeah. I got into one in the fall and that's what we worked towards also basically the rest of the summer. Man, that's exactly how they got me too because I, I went ahead and just went and checked out NAVDA when I first got into it and I was just looking at it as an opportunity to find birds and training opportunities and grounds. And just like you, I really wasn't any really interested in the testing at all but norm Brema's same thing to me he said well you know just train like you're gonna test and uh you're gonna have a better hunting dog by by the end of it and you know it anybody who starts training like that like the test is eventually you're gonna get to the point where it's like well your dog can pass the test why not do it just go ahead and knock it out and then you get hooked and you just want to keep on going <laughs> yeah exactly oh so uh how did how did uh, the dog do on the NA test? So we, she did very well. She ended up getting a, a 107 prize one. The only deduction we got was her water score, which did not surprise me at all. Well, that's that's kind of interesting because it's, you know, water, I guess, yeah, you can do it on the weekends. But even that, you know, most people are in an area where they can usually go find a pond or something to, you know, a, a few minutes down the road. But I guess living in the middle of a city, you may not have any pond relatively close to you or at least one that you can use to you know do some fun retrieves or something in the water with the dog not all the time i mean not like real cool i mean you have the hudson river and i i used it later on in our life because it was a little, it's a big river but um there was like some of these like hiking areas that were maybe like a half hour 45 minutes for me so on weekends that we weren't training or like days i got out a little bit earlier i would grab her bring her over there they had some like creeks and stuff like that that i can get her try to get her into um, yeah. I took her to a couple boat launches that were around like, um, uh, on the Hackensack river and the Hudson river around there just to try to get her to have an easy transition to the water. And yeah. she, <laughs> she fought me tooth and nail. She did not want to swim. <laughs> that's interesting. When you started saying that she got docked on one thing, I was waiting on you to say the pheasant track. Cause that's usually how it goes when somebody's like, I got docked on one thing. It's usually the track, but the water that, that is kind of interesting. So how did you overcome that? Because I know, not to spoil anything, but I know that you ended up testing UT with her later. So how did you kind of overcome her reluctancy to get in the water? Did you just keep doing it and making it fun and just kept on pushing it? Yeah, kept doing it. Um, I mean, I got in the water a couple of times. I mean, there's a couple of times we went hiking and there'd be like a, like a pond. I would basically have like a like board shorts on. I would strip down to the board shorts and go out in the water and swim and try to call her out to me. And she would walk up to like maybe like her ankles or her chest and she just wouldn't leave her feet to start swimming. Uh, kept bringing her places. Um, a couple of people gave me some ideas. They say, take her to like a river that has like some that you could walk across back and forth, but it's just deep enough for her to swim and just try to keep crisscrossing. 
and let try to get her to cross over to the other side with you. And just one, one of the days, I think it was like uh, about August, I was doing that with her. And sure enough, she decided to push off and come over to the side of the river that I was on. And that was the first time I actually got her to swim a little bit. She swam across to me. And then from there, I just kind of kept building it, kept bringing her back to that same spot, build her confidence. Um, I brought her out to a couple more of those boat launches again. I'd walk out with like waders on. I tempted her with some food that got her to come over a couple new places to start swimming. So it took a little, it took a little bit, but yeah, basically it was just a lot of different areas and a lot of coaxing and a lot of just hammering in her mind that she could swim. She's not going to sink. And once she finally realized that she, she did all right with it. Right. And just not getting impatient with it. I know a lot of people, something like that, they just get impatient. It's like, just swim across, especially if they've seen it once. It's like, I've seen you do it. Just go. And sometimes if you start putting too much pressure or emphasis on it, then it has the opposite effect. Uh, what you want with the dog just getting comfortable and confident that's the key word you use is confidence in it yep so you passed the na test did uh, i'm assuming did you just go hunting that that season or did you immediately dive into the utility training for the next test the next year no we we immediately went into doing hunting um we basically did uh i joined like a preserve so i had like some pheasants and stuff like that we'd put out I did the state game lands that season. Uh, the following year, we were we were just basically working on some steadiness and stuff. The next year in NAVDA, we actually took our first wild bird trip out to Montana that year. Um, just did pretty well. We got some sharp tails for the first time. That was her first wild bird and my first wild bird, which is pretty cool. Nice. Uh, so we kept working on steadiness that second year. Going into the third year, I was still working on steadiness because my fault as being a first-time bird hunter with her I got just as excited about finding birds as she did. So when say she would break on the flush and that bird was in the air, I might not have saw her flush or really cared. And I was pulling the trigger anyway. Yep. That kind of didn't help with her steadiness. So a lot of the times, like those last those next two years, I fought with her on steadiness and kind of hammered that into her mind a little bit. And I'd say maybe about that third season, we kind of really started looking at focusing on more of doing the utility work, looking at like doing the steadiness by the blinds, um, introducing her to like the duck search um, training yep. and getting her ready that way. So how did the duck search training go when you had a dog that was so reluctant to water early on and maybe it just wasn't her favorite thing to do? How did the duck search training start off? So her water actually got a little better after I force fetched her. When we force fetched her, she ended up getting like a real big drive to, to do retrieving and with okay. that, she, I started transitioning that to like the water, and I just made it fun. I was just throwing bumpers for her every like every once in a while, and she was having fun with the swimming side of it. So she got she got over the water side of it with the retrieving fun. So we started doing duck search. Uh, I had a lot of good people in our our group that gave me a lot of different ideas, and basically everyone had me get the idea of first take a duck, we'll shackle it up, we'll put it on land, let her just find that, and just let her pick it up and carry around a live duck. So she got used to that, so she wasn't scared. Mm-hmm. From there, what I did was I took another live duck and I basically just let her sit by the shore, released it from the shore, let it go out about 20 yards and sent her out and let her basically go on a kind of duck chase just to oh, get her yeah. fired up and let her learn yeah. that, you know, she could take that duck and she could take it on in the water too. Yep. And then from there, we basically just did, I did like a half circle. So we'd put like some dead ducks, maybe 30 yards out. I would just send her out. She'd go find one of those ducks, bring them back. And then we just kind of built a little bit further, a little bit further. 
once I got her to really kind of get across like the pond that we use to get across like the open water to the other side of the like where the deadfalls and the vegetation was. Yeah. Once she was going across that way is when I started introducing like a live duck with it with some dead ducks scattered around so that when she went on her search, she always had something to find mm-hmm. with that. Um, a couple of times when we had it, when she was getting hung up a little bit about getting across, I would take the live duck and basically just like let her see me put it out, take her mm-hmm. away, and then bring her back to the water and send her back out. So she didn't really see where it went, but she at least saw it get put out and knew it was out there. And that kind of gave her a little bit more of the confidence to, to go out and search for him. Yeah, so as this baby step and build building that confidence and knowing that when you said something's out there to go search for it, that she's going to find something and just making every trip successful. It's pretty much how you do duck search for all dogs. You know, the methods are a little different. Everybody has their own different little nuanced way of doing it, but the mission is still the same. Get the dog's confidence up and the trust level that when you say something's out there, it's out there. But I was just curious if, if it really got you know it was a slow start just with her reluctance to water early on but you know that was two three years into it so i guess she got over it and just every every chase or every duck she just got that confidence and when you said that you did the force fetch i'm curious did you do any like pile work in the water you know force to pile in the water I never did any pile work in the water. I did it on land with her. We did like the, the pile drills on land, but I never actually did it in the water with her. Okay. All right. I was just curious about that as well. So when you're training for utility, you, you already said that, you know, you kind of had a battle with the steadiness and then you figured out the duck search and everything. When you're going into the test, what was, what was the thing that you're most apprehensive about you know what were you worried about because everybody that goes and does does this test they know like if i if i get get caught up on something or there's a hurdle more than likely it's going to come in in this section of the test which which was your worry it was the field work i was probably the biggest that was the most nervous wreck i had throughout the entire test was going out into the field with her because i knew with the mistakes i made with her in the beginning as far as pulling the trigger when she was flushing she also quite caught quite a few birds because I was a bad bird planner when I was training with her. <laughs> she had a bit of a, a thing for going after birds on her own. So I always knew that that could always creep up at any moment because mm-hmm. some days she'd be great. There was the week before uh, we even did the utility test. She was taking out birds and chasing them. So it, 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 it could have came up at any moment. And that was probably because my biggest concern was going into the field work. All right. And so... One week before the test, she's kicking up birds, and that's the section you're worried about. How did she do in the field on test day? On test day, she got a four and everything, except for a three. She got a three in steadiness. It was her only deduction. Okay. All right. And so overall, what was the uh, result of the test? Overall, that was her only deduction. She ended up with a 201 and a prize one. Nice. So, and that was that just this fall that you tested? That was just, yeah, this September. All right. So are you uh, you, you going to start training for the Invitational for next year? I, I am. I am. I know it's a lot of work. Um, so I was surprised, but pleasantly surprised that she did what she did in the utility tests. Um, I didn't think she was going to come out that way, but she did. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I can't pass up the opportunity to at least go out there and run her in it. Yeah. So... Walk us through what are your next steps and plans for, for starting that journey, getting your dog ready for the invitational. So we actually started doing some uh, 
AKC Huntess because I wanted yep. to at least get her prepared for this is before all this, but I wanted to get her prepared with like running with a brace me, doing yep. some honoring work and everything. That's I wanted to get her into that field work, and it gave me another opportunity to do some testing with her with field work because the AKC that's all it is. So when mm-hmm. I was working on fitness for the utility, I started uh, signing up for the senior hunter test just to give you another avenue to uh, kind of evaluate her, give her some runs. And like I said, she had that brace mate, which kind of threw in a, a little bit of a different mix for her. Yep. So how did she do taking to having a brace mate and backing and honoring and all that fun stuff? Was it, did it come natural or did you have to work on that? Oh, we're still working on it. She's, she's always hunted by herself and she'll see another dog on point for the most part. And she's like, all right, cool. You got a bird. I'm gonna go find my own. <laughs> yeah so we're, we're still working out a little bit she likes to kind of be by herself she's not too much about honoring another dog gotcha so do you have specific drills that you're using to work on that on the weekends or at navda training days or is it just repetition you just put them out there in the field with other dogs and then you, you woe them into it and just hope that it takes or or do you have some some kind of tricks and training tips for that when i first started working on it with uh like my mentor, the guy at the Navda, he um he actually has like cutouts, like uh, plywood yep. cutouts of other dogs. Mm-hmm. So what we basically did was like almost like a, a magic brush pile drill. We'd have the the dog, the cutout on point with a, a bird and a launcher behind, basically like a brush pile. Bring mm-hmm. the dog around the corner, and as soon as the dog comes around the corner, and you know that dog sees the the cutout, we're yep. just popping the bird. And after okay. you know so many couple times or so many repetitions. The dog would get like that. That bird's gonna pop. So when it came around the corner and saw the other dog on point, it would just stop. Kind of anticipation of that bird coming up and flushing. So and just associating there. the sight picture of a dog on point with birds. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. All right. And so, is that is that still where you're at now, or you know, are you transitioning to uh, you know? a buddy's dog out in the field or how, how is that working? That is that the only drill that you're doing and the step that you're on now? No, right now, now we're on. Yeah. She's running with another, like basically another live dog. We have the other dog out. Um, so she runs with them. If it's basically, we kind of like basically now do like a first come first serve. So both dogs are working towards the same thing. So whatever dog finds the bird, we'll bring the other one in for the honor. The dog stops on its own. Great. Um, if not, I'll either lower or just give her a little bit of a, a low stimulation on the collar to get her to stop to kind of reinforce that, like the dog on point, that sight means you got to stop and stand still too. Yeah, no, perfect. Makes sense. So besides the backing, you know, what, is that the only thing you're focused on right now? I know it's kind of hunting season. So training, you know, training season is different than hunting season for most of us, but, uh, are you working on anything else towards the Invitational right now, or are you just wor- working on backing or hunting this time of year? Well, for the most part right now, we've been hunting. But during the week, like if I you know, go out for it, kind of give her some exercise, I'll bring some of the um, the retrieving dummies. We'll do mm-hmm. some just like basically like force the piles again. I'm trying to reinforce that to get her ready to start doing some crossings. Yeah, have um, been doing some double marks, but we've been doing that for the last couple of years. It's just fun drills. And... Um, yeah, basically for the most part, I'm trying to reinforce that like that crossing. So trying to get her ready for those blind retrieves and just putting in like that foundation work of reminding her that when I give you a line, you take that line straight out. There is going to be something that you find as long as you continue on that straight line. Right. Now, makes sense. That's that's exciting. So you mentioned the the pheasant release program in Jersey. What else is there to to hunt that you can get out on the weekends or pretty regularly and chase? Are you driving, you know, multiple hours every week to get into grouse woods or what what are you up to every weekend? 
So every weekend for the most part, um, and at the pheasant opener happened in New Jersey, we'll go, we'll start doing that. Um, we've gone around to a couple of places looking for woodcock, but haven't been too successful in New Jersey. Um, I got a place out in Pennsylvania that I go to once in a while. That's got some grouse, not a lot, but we can get some grouse. And then I got some buddies from NAVDA that have some places up in New York that when I get time and everything, I can go up there, but that's maybe a couple weekends out of the year. I'll be able to do that. Yeah. For the most part, it's really just the uh, the state release birds is probably our biggest thing, and then uh, we mess around a little bit with waterfowls. Okay, so you do some waterfowl hunting in addition to uh, upland hunting. Yeah, and for the most part, for us though, it's not anything where we set up in blinds. Um, I've been doing it since I was a kid. We go to some of the rivers and like the uh, the woodland ponds, and basically just walk up to them and jump shoot them. But with gotcha. that, it's been nice. I've been kind of reinforcing her walking that heel next to me and staying there yep. through all the shots and the action and everything. So it kind of gives her a little bit of work too. Yep. Nah, at jump shooting ducks are, is so much fun when you have a dog that'll, you know, is under control and you can heal them or, or woe them and pretty much do the steadiness blind sequence and the utility test. And if you have some ducks to shoot them and then they go get it. And I, I like doing that whenever I'm out grouse or woodcock hunting. I just, you know, if I'll, if I know that there's water out there, I'll just carry steel shot. And then that way, if I see a couple ducks on the water, I'll take advantage. But, uh, to me, that's just, it, that's as fun as just jump shooting ducks on the side. Oh yeah. Pete's sitting there in the cold trying to call him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I know it's hard for you to kind of understand because it, you, you've been living it for a few years now, but again, you know, most of us don't live in that type of city environment with the dog. So I, I want to know some tips and tricks to where your routine and your training routine with this dog, you know, advise some other people that may be in a similar situation and are like, well, I want a hunting dog, but I can't have a short hair in, you know, one bedroom apartment in downtown, whatever city. So I want to go down, you know, you mentioned the crate training and the uh, house breaking, running down three flights of stairs and dog parks and stuff like that. What are some other tips and tricks that you had to just kind of meld into your daily routine and you know, was there any fun training stories or good tips that you learned that just made it work for you? So, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I mean, I know we talked about in the beginning saying I don't have birds in my, or pigeons in my backyard, but uh, there was actually quite a few pigeons around the city. They just don't <laughs> home to my, I don't have any homing uh, crate for them, but there was plenty of birds around. So I tried to use them to my advantage. The only thing is they don't really fly too well. They like to fly maybe 10, 20 feet and come back down. <laughs> So hold up, walk, walk me through this. Are you like just walking th downtown in the city and you see some pigeons and like, what do you walk me through how you use the pigeons in the city to your advantage? So there was a couple, there was a couple parks. There's actually, there was one up the road from me that was, it's kind of like almost like an abandoned pier that kind of overgrew with grass. People mm -hmm. go and kind of walk and kind of hang out there, but there's not many people there and it's kind of getting a little, it was a little overgrown. So you'd find some pigeons in there. Um, we found a, quite a, a, a couple of morning doves once in a while. She kicked up a couple of rabbits out of there. So I'd basically bring her over there with the long check cord. And if I knew there was birds, I'd keep my hand on the end of it. And if she was kind of rodent on, you give her a little like, you know, check on the, the check cord, pull back on her. When she yeah. would stand there, I'd try to get out in front of her to try to flush the bird and simulate the whole thing. And I kind of, like I said, I used it to my advantage. Uh, I'd say probably the weirdest thing that ever happened to me was I used the Smith method to help her out with the steadiness. So when you're doing the um, uh, the woe post, you yep. get quite a few looks from people when they come walking by you and they see your dog <laughs> tied to one end of a post 
and you with a, le- a long leash pulling from the front of them. I got quite a few people asking me, uh, what are you doing to that dog? I was like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> like, what is that? Like, I'm getting her steady. <laughs> they had no I idea what I was doing. I swear that was my next question is how you woe train the dog. You know, did you just go to the park and, and do the walking heel method or a woe post or, you know, did you find a barrel or, or a platform or something? So you would just go what into just a public park and do the woe post. And I went, yeah, I went to public parks. I used, I used light posts as my anchor point. I used fences. I would basically tie like the, the one check cord to the chain link fence that would be the anchor point. I'd put that around her waist into the collar and I'd have the other check cords to the front of her walking out. Um, I've used fire hydrants. I've used trees, basically anything that had like an open grassy area and I could tie the one end of the check cord. So is what I used. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, up there in your neck of the woods, you know, especially in the city areas, they're not exactly known for being the most like pro hunting population out there. So when people would come up and ask you what you're doing and you, you would try and explain, I'm training my hunting dog. I mean, what, what reactions would you get from some of these people? For the most part, I just got basically the, oh, okay. And they just walk off. There was okay. a conversation after that. Um, I got a couple people that, you know, actually were hunters themselves and they got into a conversation with me, but that was very far and few between. Yeah. All right. Well, good deal. So, all right. So, you you got creative with some of the city pigeons around the area, woe posts and everything. Uh, I mean, what other uh, things have you been working on in the city that you just kind of got creative and had to make it work with what you had? Um, really, I mean, that was probably like the the most creative was doing like the woe posting side of it. So you said using whatever birds were kind of around for that side of it. For the most part, what I did for her daily exercises was, like I said, I hammered that obedience into her. So we did gotcha. a lot of healing work. Um, when she was a puppy, I kept her on the, the check cord, did a lot of the recall stuff. Um, and it helped out as far as like being in like that um, city area because she mm-hmm. had a lot of distractions between people and dogs and seeing all the different like birds and stuff that were around. So I kind of had it like that to help me reinforce that the command to come back to me. Um, did a lot of sit and stays where I made her sit and I'd walk off and just kind of like leave her there like in sight just to get her used to just being able to sit there by herself, no matter what's going on, not to break or anything. Um, did the same kind of thing with the woe. I'd put her on a woe, maybe walk out of sight where I could see her, but she couldn't see me and just kind of kept her there to reinforce it. So anything that came by, she moved, correct her, put her back. Like I said, for the most part, that's what I used a lot of times was that just hammering that obedience into her. No, and, and you hear all the time people talk about the importance of getting your dog out every day and running them and burning that energy out. But I find just you're a perfect example of this. I find when you actually do actual training sessions and lessons and you use that mental stimulus, you really get a more controllable and just more cooperative dog inside the house on an everyday basis than just taking your dog out and running them miles at a time. If you actually spend the time and work on that obedience and changing the environment up and the distractions and everything, you really, and from what I've noticed in dogs, you really get that cooperation and and that more companion lifestyle on a regular day basis than what you would just get by just, you know, roading them a few miles, which you obviously don't have access to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I said the mental side of it, just coming up with those different, um, you know, drills and actually, you know, um, work on everything. She, yeah, it definitely tired her out just as much. I would say as if I took her out for like a three mile hike somewhere. 
Right, right. So I've got to ask, you know, everybody gets into this world. They want the hunting dog. They start training. They have a little bit of success, but it, it, it never fails. They start thinking, all right, I want another one. Are you already on the <laughs> thinking about getting another dog? Or are you going to try and make that work in, uh, in the small apartment as well? Or are you going to hold off on that? If it was up to me, there probably would be a second dog in this apartment. Uh, that's where I'm getting a little bit of resistance from the wife right now. Is mm. that uh, She says, one is enough for this one. When we upgrade <laughs> this a little bit bigger, we can get a second one. So, uh, like I said, if it was up to me, I'd have that second dog. But for right now, I think it's going to be once we, once we grow into something a little bit bigger, I'll get that second dog. Well, has she gotten involved in the daily routine at all, going to the parks and training or anything like that? Has she shown any interest in, uh, you know, the what, what I'm getting at is maybe you could work it into where it's her dog and she can start training and hunting with you. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. Everybody's different on that. <laughs> has she shown any interest in that whatsoever? She, she likes to come up for the hikes. She likes to do like, the, um, she likes to see the training sessions and everything. She's done it to the hunting side of it. Uh, the one thing that she definitely helped a lot with was once I force fetched, uh, Gretchen, yep. she, she had a lot of fun with it. So when I started like trying to do different objects to get it a hold, to get the, to reinforce the idea, my wife had like a, a field day with it. She'd give her like pieces of paper or mail to carry, make her carry <laughs> her own leash, give her folded clothes to bring over to like the bedroom. Like yep. if she dropped the hair tie on the ground, she'd have her pick it up and bring it back to her. So I said, she really, yeah, she really helped me reinforce like that, that force fetch command for her. My, my wife is the same way. She gets a kick out of just handing, handing stuff to, to Lucy around the house. You know, if she needs to carry a blanket from one room to the next and she'll just have Lucy take it instead of her carrying it for whatever reason, she just thinks it's the coolest thing in the world to have the dog carry stuff for her. But so (laughs) you mentioned force fetch again. Where did you do the force fetch? Did you like, do you have a balcony on, on your uh, apartment or did you, wh- where did you do that? Did you do it all on the ground at the park or wh- what was the daily routine during force fetch? So I took the idea most people do. The, uh, the dead time of the winter is probably the best time to do it. So I yep. did it basically sitting at the edge of my chase on my couch. Okay. I would sit at the edge of the couch and just sat there with her, my hand on her collar, the ear. And we just worked uh, basically just taking it in and out of my hand and just building from there, working our way back down to the ground. Once I was able to get her to go to the other side of like the room and pick it up and bring it back. Then I started bringing her outside and, you know, doing a little bit further drills with her, but getting that transition from taking it from my hand, as opposed to taking it off the ground was probably the biggest hurdle. Love it. I love it. I, I love people that get creative in their training and obviously where you live, you, you have to do that. And that's why I wanted to get you on and speak to that because there are a, a bunch of people I've talked to them that they t- talk about wanting the dog, but they just say, you know, their, their townhouse is too small or something. And I'm like, you know, there's people that live in actual downtown Chicago and New York that d- does this. Now, granted, not all of them, but you really have to want to do it because, you know, it's you you can't just go let the dog out in the backyard you know you, you have to go down three flights of stairs to go find a tree or something like that and that that's going to happen whether it's rain sunshine snow whatever but i think it it's one of those things if you want to do it and you have the interest you really can do it you just have to get creative oh yeah it's it's definitely a commitment like it's not like anything that was easy and it wasn't anything that was just like kind of like okay yeah i take the dog out today and do it it was, you know, every morning when I woke up and I went to work, I'd be thinking throughout work, okay, when I get home, 
what do I want to work on with her? Where should I go with her? It was always every day planning something to do with her. Just because like I said, if I didn't stay on top of her with her, she never would have got to where she got to. Um, and she probably would have been the nightmare dog that you read about if I didn't get her out as much as I did. Nope, absolutely. I agree. Well, I mean, is there any other thing that you can think of that you could tell somebody that was, you know, is right on the border, the fence line of, of getting a dog, but maybe keeping their small house or small yard, keeping them from doing it? Or we pretty much uh, milk that cow already. Yeah, I would just say exactly what I said. If you know, if you want to do it, make the commitment, stick to it, and you shouldn't have any problems with it. Yep. All right. Well, there you go, Nick. I appreciate you making time and kind of sharing your story. I enjoyed it. I love people that get creative with their training, and hopefully, people get get some ideas out of this. And uh, you know, maybe if if do, doing force fetch on your couch in your living room or finding uh, pigeons and and downtown where you live isn't an option for you, maybe you can get creative and come up with some. Uh, interesting ways of training your own dog yeah absolutely appreciate you having me on absolutely we'll check back and uh, everybody we'll we'll talk to you next week thank you for listening to gdiy if you enjoy this podcast please remember to take a moment to rate review and share with a friend also be sure to follow us and our partners on facebook and instagram under gundog it yourself if you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.